Hello and welcome again to another instalment of Witch Car Weekly. You are in the... Yes, what's that, Cam? What? The door was open. Okay, great. <laughs> That's okay. That's all going in. That was not That was not a sound effect, expertly edited in by our, our sound technician, otherwise known as Scott Newman, who is also the associate editor of Motor Magazine. That's me. Uh, it was actually the very real Cameron Kirby, a journalist at Wheels Magazine, closing the actual door. That's me, and that's the door. <laughs> That is just how relaxed we are, because we are heading into a very festive and relaxing period. Um, but we've got time for, for another another instalment of Witch Car Weekly. And for that reason, we assemble in the uh, studio here. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. We've got some good stuff to get through this week. Uh, it is very warm in here, because we just recorded the Christmas special. That fun. will be out in a week, if you are listening to the current version. Uh, but this is... Episode 43. And without any further ado, let's get straight into it. I think we called the last episode for episode 43. But anyway, it's a new episode. Oh, really? Doesn't matter. Things have cocked up my whole numbering system. We do do words, not numbers. Thank you, Cam. That makes me feel much better. On today's chat, perfecting Porsche perfection, reigning in the high rider's reign, and the end of the lion. Let's get the end of the lion. Do you like that? Yeah, that's good. I I stole that from Wheels magazine. It's a, it's a that good was, line. That was, uh, that was a headline. Sorry, that was a, a mag a cover line that we almost used for when uh, Holden finished production in Australia. And we thought, well, it didn't quite work, work because it sounded like it was the end of Holden completely, which, funnily enough, is pretty much what's going to happen. And that's what we want to talk about first. Um, so, yes, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago, Scott, because uh, we just when it actually all went down. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to, want to revisit the topic because it is close to everyone's heart and it is a, it's a big matter. Um, so Holden, once again, has announced it will stop selling the Commodore and Astra. Um, it looks pretty grim. And our prediction is, I think we're in, in sort of general agreement, that it doesn't bode well for the future. And we could possibly be looking at, really, the death of the Holden brand. And is that such a bad thing? I mean, it is a bad thing in many ways because there are dealers involved, there are employees involved, but in the long run, in the long run, in the long term, is it sort of almost the kindest way forward, do you think? It gives it a bit of dignity, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's what the brand deserves at this moment. That's the hard part. It's hard to see with their current product lineup how they recover. And I mean, you know, in our notes here, we've got could Button, Dave Butner have saved it? Dave Butner came out of retirement. He was a former Toyota Australia executive to mm. head up Holden. But it was, I always thought it was going to be difficult because they'd already launched all their products. If he'd come in and gone, Next five years, ten years, we've got this massive rollout of product, but they'd already done Rastra, they'd already done Commodore, they'd already done Equinox, they'd already done Acadia, mm. and the sales still weren't going anywhere. So it's kind of like, what can this guy do, really? By by all accounts, he'd opened quite a few doors within GM, though. Like yes, he, that's true. He had, had got the foot in the door, went came to Cadillac and bring Cadillac down under. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which may still happen, I suppose. Yeah, apparently he was quite instrumental in ensuring that Corvette would would get a decent allocation for that. You know, he he had involvement in trying to improve our. That's lot, the thing. I mean, apparently, Butner left for personal reasons. I don't know what those are. I think it's important what they are. Like he didn't leave because yeah. of the job or the or he saw the writing on the wall or anything. Yeah, apparently, was, he was doing quite well, but just had to leave for. It his was own bad reasons. timing. It, yeah. did, it yeah. didn't look great, but yeah, we we are reliably informed it's not because he's just jumping a sinking ship. That's right. Correct. It, it, but it is indicative of the bad luck run that Holden yeah. is having because that is a yeah. genuine p- personal reason that he's left for. Yeah. yeah. And it wouldn't matter on the timing, but like 
man, it couldn't have come at a worse Especially, time. like, it's another rung on the however many GMs or as they've had in the past, what, yeah. eight years, ten years? It's yeah. six or seven. Um, and I was so disappointed to, to learn that news because I really thought he... I don't know if I was completely convinced he, he could save the brand, but I knew that if he couldn't, no one could. Yeah. He had the right ideas and the right yeah. plan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If, if he failed, you knew that was there was simply nothing you could do. It was a completely broken machine. So I guess the question is... Does his do, do his ideas and his momentum, internal momentum, like we didn't necessarily see it on the sales chart, but by all accounts there was internal momentum, positive momentum. Does that go with him or can the new guy, Christi, um, Christina Aqu- Aquilina, Aquilina uh, can he? Because he's apparently a very, very good operator too, turned around holding yeah. in New Zealand. Um, can he pick up the baton and well, I think, those plans? I think we'll see. I mean, it's, it's that kind of... That's um, that pragmatic view you have to apply when looking in politics as well, that you know, a lot of the hard work has been done and you won't see the results until many years during and at which point the current power in, uh, party in power will claim the credit for it. Correct. So if Holden gets a bit of a turnabout, then you have to say, well, Butner would have had a lot to do with that. So That's right. Yeah, I mean, the big companies are, you know, they're like the boating analogy. They're, they're, they're a big cruise ship. You don't turn them immediately. You turn, you make the, you make yeah. the input. And eventually it happens. So exactly, yeah. So yeah, I think it's a combination of so from from let's that's the first part of it, management. Um, Butner was probably doing some fairly um, dramatic things. We might see the results of those uh, emerging in the next sort of few months, years, and now um, his successor, obviously. So that's the management side of it. What else can they do with the product side? I mean, what what can you can you do? As you said before, we've already had all this new product. Didn't seem to have much of an effect. What else is there left in the in the the barrel to pick from? I mean, I heard that there were some quite interesting things in the pipeline uh, that subsequently maybe got taken off the table. What they are, I don't, they might, I mean, that might have been Cadillac. That might have been... Yeah, right. Um, so you don't know also, specifically no, what... Though. No, I don't know specifically what they were, So, um, which might have hampered them somewhat, somewhat. But, I mean, there's a new... There's a new Colorado coming. I think there's a facelifted Colorado. Um, they still presumably have access to the GM portfolio. Um... But it's what is what's within GM's portfolio that they can get in right hand drive. That's yeah, the other exactly. issue. Is yeah, that's that's a niche. Yeah. That GM isn't really serving particularly yep. well, at and the don't moment. seem to want to serve necessarily. No, like, that's you right. Know, they didn't make current Camaro and right hand drive. HSV's taking that over. Um, well, that's a big thing, out. isn't it? I mean, if if you're not being supported by your the frustration for that must be that the HSV programs have shown there is demand. Like maybe not so much for the Camaro, but Silverado is selling well. Um, the, you know, they're doing their Rams as well, which isn't a GM product, but those bigger pickups, like the US Colorado, the ZR2 and stuff, people would buy them. People would buy the just not here. US Colorado instantly. And it's our intel that that's what the Colorado, after this facelift, that's what our Colorado will become. Yeah, that makes will, sense. That will go global. But like, yeah, you, like Ford Mustang went bananas here. Mm. Ford's had great success with that. And the pricing of the conversion stuff has obviously put a premium on the Camaro. You yep. put a little bit of a hamper on that, but I have no doubt that priced reasonably and competitively to a Mustang that the Camaro would do just as well. Yeah, I mean, that gets us to the point. If Holden if Holden were to retire, let's put it politely, what what next? Kill. Axe. Oh, God. Cull. Bludgeon. <laughs> Dan's feeling aggressive. Better respect, mate. Yeah. Sorry. Better okay. respect. <laughs> Press F. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. Chevrolet, you look at Chevrolet and go, I think that would probably work quite well. They've got a good product lineup. Half the products Holden currently sell are Chevrolets. You know, you could keep the current Colorado, keep the Acadia for an SUV, the uh, Trax, um, you get access like, to Silverado, Camaro, Corvette. You think about that, 
sort of product mix in a, sh- mm. in a showroom, that's pretty appealing. Chevrolet's a cool... I think Chevrolet's a cool brand. Is Chevrolet a cool brand? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and I think the Holden brand was so loved because of its link to Australia. We yes. built cars here, yeah. we designed cars here, and now that has become a curse. Yes. What was once a gift is a curse now, with that brand. And so I think that's the problem. People look at it and go... What reason do I have to yeah. buy could, a product? If could anything, the you could... Commodore have succeeded because the Commodore is quite a good car. I think it's a good car. Um, you know, you can maybe There's certain no things are right, but, um, but but could it have ever succeeded? I don't think so. Not badged as a Holden, which leaves you Opal badging, which. I don't, See, well, that's, no, that's no, what, what large sedan is doing okay yeah so apart from it's not, Camry it's not and really about, uh, more than any of the other contributing factors it's the fact that Australians and the world generally aren't buying big sedans anymore yeah. so it's the reason Ford made the difficult move at the time to kill Falcon mm-hmm. um and at least they did the right thing in as much as they sent it out with a bit of dignity and just yes. didn't let it fizzle out into um, obscurity which is a bit Commodore I mean the Commodore's got dignity in the fact that it's still it's just a very different car. But, I mean, mm. I, w- I do want to make the point, and you can either agree or disagree. Um, there's only two options. Um, <laughs> well, that's what we do on Which Car Weekly, so yes. So everyone said, oh, the Commodore died three years ago, blah, blah, blah. This isn't a real Commodore. Had they called it anything else, surely it would have hastened its demise. However many Commodores they've sold, I would argue that they would have sold half the number of insignias. I think that's fair. I, I- think so. I'm going to disagree with you on Ooh. that one. Yeah, I think the name is not didn't really move much with that car's sales. And I think the, what they saw, what, 300... So you can have it been called Insignia or whatever. They could have called it Billy Bob. That yeah, because you, tra- you track the sales. The moment that car comes in, yeah. those sales drop off a cliff, even compared to VF. And yeah. VF were on a downward sort I, of plateau. I reckon what happened is we're, we're not considering the vast majority of the car buying public who don't care about cars. Hmm. So what would have happened with the Commodore, I suspect, when the new one came in, the ZB, um, is what I like to call the Hilux syndrome, which is where people buy the next Hilux because they've always bought a Hilux. Hmm. They don't know that Hilux isn't as good as five other competitors on, in the one-ton market. So they would have just gone, oh, hold need, the Commodore needs replacing, let's go and buy another one. They hmm. wouldn't care that it's totally different. They wouldn't care it's built in a different country. So there's a bit of the Hilux syndrome, and I reckon that's why Commodore branding and badge probably did continue and, as you say, prolong its sales. Hmm. And I think ironically I think some of the uh, I think there is some of that and I think those people realise you see the odd comment going I, I did I took the plunge got rid of the old one maybe I had an Evoca or a Calais or something went in got the new one and drove it and went this is a really good car because it was like mm. it was fundamentally like the new Calais is probably better at most things than the old Calais yeah. but it doesn't have the same feel and all that sort of thing I think Holden made a few boo-boos with the product offering um like they spent all that money on the V6 because they were terrified people wouldn't buy the car without a V6. Whereas you think if the VXR had had a like high-performance 2-litre turbo, that's actually quite a cool car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, other, the one thing I never understood was they couldn't get the diesel in the Tourer. Like, yeah, right. That's smash made in heaven. I yeah. know, it is. They have a diesel Tourer. You know, they had the 3.6 V6 only, and who cares about buying a... Thirst, relatively thirsty V6 yeah. in a crossover SUV segment. So, yep. poor Commodore. Um, what can they do in the way... Uh, so, what will Corvette do? Let's talk about that next. You know, So, can, can that save a brand all on its own? No, because it's not going to be badged to Holden. Well, yeah, exactly. But it will be in Holden dealerships. It'll be in Holden dealerships. But be a bit of a showroom orphan. That's what I don't understand... Um, the other day that uh, there was a quote from someone in Holden, they were responding to something and they were like, oh, we have no plans to introduce Chevrolet in Australia. It's like, well, Chevrolet's already here, mate. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You've got Chevrolet 
semi-dealers. That was part of the HSV thing. Like, and trademarks. Yeah, HSV would um, take over the... Become like the Chevrolet part of the dealer. So you've already got Camaro, already got Silverado. Obviously, rebranding every dealer and everything is a much, much bigger yeah. exercise. But... I think I it's just found stationary. It, I found it a strange oh. communication to say that we're not... I'm like, oh, what's already here? Like, yeah. Have you not yeah. noticed? <laughs> Which, once again, sort of goes hand in hand with the, with what appears from the outside to be a massive misman- mismanagement of the whole transition that started really way back at the end of um, it's gonna be an, manufacturing. It's going to be an amazing book. Like, you think about the last, mm. say, 10... Oh. Or ever since Hannenberger maybe left. Yeah. The number of GMs, the decisions made, the, the quantity of the decisions made, the back and forth between Detroit yeah. and Korea, and us there will like... be there will be two books on the shelf side by side, both hardbacks, both the same side size. One will be glittery and shiny and covered in sparkles, and that will be the Ford story. And next to it, there'll be a brown book, which will be <laughs> the Holden story. You know, the the, the way the two yeah. have have differed and managed this transition from Australian manufacturing is so cosmically different. It's literally like one said, we're doing it this way, and then the other said, we're going to do everything exactly the opposite. Yeah, and you, you look at the fan reaction or the enthusiast reaction yeah. to the way those two brands are and existing at the moment. One has very exciting things happening and has a very excited fan base. One has a hugely disappointed and very angry mob. Yep, 100%. Mm-hmm. And we will continue to track the progression, whether it be an upward or downward uh, trajectory, and bring it to you all on Which Car Weekly. Next up, we're going to talk about... A very interesting prophecy that was made by a uh, very good and renowned journalist, uh, writes for Autocar, uh, which I'm quite happy to plug because I think it's a fantastic website. Among many other things. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. wrote one of my favourite books, um, McLaren. But anyway, we'll few, talk about that another time. A few bylines in wheels, I'm not sure about. We are, name. of course, talking about Andrew, Fra- Andrew Frankel. Yes. He said a strange thing. And not an unwelcome thing for us car nuts. He believes that 2020, we're looking ahead now, will be the year that the SUV gets its comeuppance and people will stop buying it. Well, not completely, but its popularity will take a downturn, marking the end of its heyday. Interesting. It's interesting. So he wrote this on a little sort of Instagram magazine he does with another journey called Dan Prosser called Drive Nation. It's very good. Again, we'll plug it because it's it's good. Um, And he prefaced his uh, story by saying that pretty much every prediction he makes goes completely the opposite direction. And I fear that Andrew, with the greatest of respect, is going to continue his tradition because I have no, I see no reason why SUVs will be de- begin to decline. Sales figures don't support it. Manufacturer development programs don't support it. Like I saw a quote from the boss of BMW saying the X7 is sold out like for the foreseeable future. It's wild. So if people are continuing to buy petrol-powered Three-row, two-and-a-half-ton SUVs right now. I don't see why 2020 will see a downturn in the SUV. V8 petrol-powered. That's right. Yep. I have a theory on where he's coming from. I would love to hear it. It comes down to semantics. Hmm. I think he's tuning in to the fact that manufacturers are trying to stop using the term SUV. It's not that people are going to stop buying the class vehicle. It's just that cleverly, insidiously, the brands are not talking about them like SUVs anymore. Yeah, it's all marketing guff, though. And it's even more chilling than the scenario of people just buying SUVs forever. Because what it means is people will stop looking at SUVs like SUVs. They'll just regard them as the norm and cars in massive inverted air commas. Yes, they are. And that's worrying because that really, ironically, seals the fate of passenger cars and, and normal cars as we know. Well, the venerable John Kerry 
author in wheels for many, many years. I was with him last week and he's been on the Audi RSQ8 launch mm-hmm. and he said nothing about this car as an SUV. It is a <gasps> giant hot hatch. That's all it is. Like it's, go. It, the way it drives, the way it's, you know, it's packaging, it's platform, everything like that. It's, it's size says SUV, but if you like, you know, shrunk it to 75%, you just have a hot hatch. So that's and that's kind of what they've become. So is it yeah. us? Is it us? Is it the motoring journalists and the media that have to change and just get over it and just say, well, look, this is the world. Maybe we have to just stop referring to them as SUVs as the majority now. As you know, SUV sales overtook uh, passenger car sales in Australia midway through last year or the year I, before. I think it's appropriate to still call them SUVs, much the way you know we don't call cars horse-drawn carriages because that's yes. what they replaced. You know. Um, yeah. I, I, but I, I do agree that this is going to be the new normal. I think that a passenger car or a sports car like that is an outlier in mm-hmm. the near future when it comes to product planning. Everything's going to be high riding. And that the core of it is people just want to sit higher. Yep. People just want to have better vision out of their cars. They've got addicted to it. They want it. So they'll, they'll keep buying it. I think part of Andrew's argument was the fact that uh, the environmental toll, they, there's a couple of bits of research out that say they are now the second biggest polluter traffic mm. polluter or something like that yeah. or no behind any industry or something um but i think that's all going to change because suvs lend themselves so easily to electrical conversion yeah, platforms because yeah. you can put a platform under them weight's not an issue you can get enough the way they're used means 400 500 k's of range piece of cake you can fit lots of people in them um you know if anything it could go the other way if they get their the manufacturers get their head-to-end electricity, which I presumably believe they will, like new X5 will be electric, the new Jag, you know, F-Pace will be electric, I'm sure, all that sort of thing. So why, why wouldn't they keep selling? I mean, look at the first EVs from Jag, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, yep. all SUVs. Yep. So then the question, the question is for me then, where does it stop? If we are predicting people to just keep on buying ever bigger and heavier SUVs, where does it stop? They can't. I mean, they can't just carry on. Otherwise, they'll become there'll be a massive SUV supernova where all they get, all implode at some point. We all get HV, HGV licenses. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're already seeing the rise of popularity. We mentioned it previously. You know, the um, uh, Silverado Ram. You know, these mm. these upper upper large um, Utes. People are lapping them up. Yeah, absolutely. People so, people love big things. Like I, I look at a Silverado and go, how could anyone buy that? Where do you park it? Yeah. There's a guy on my street that street parks one in in inner city <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> I almost got wiped out by an F two fifty this morning. Actually, like he was just he was he was going around a car parked on the side of the road. But the enormity of this thing meant he was pretty much three quarters into my lane just trying to drive around it. Um, I mean, it must be quite fun to drive one, I suppose, but. They're not very practical. Oh, they're very practical in one sense, but yeah. not very practical in terms of getting into a shopping centre, for instance. But this this is the essence of the SUVs. People buy them because half the reason is they, they love the promise of getting yeah. away and the adventure, but no one ever uses them. Yeah. So I think it's the, the same thing with the, yeah. the massive utes as you, well. You ask where it does end. I reckon it ends with legislation. Yeah, it, probably. Like yeah. It, consumers can't help themselves. We like as as a whole more. society, we just want more. <laughs> we will keep taking more, and it will take the point where the X nine. The X27. Yeah, for, for whatever reason, it'll take a legislation probably in China or the US to, to probably put a stop to, to this kind of growing bulge. There is, there is, there has to be an end limit. I mean, it, don't the UK have width, width restrictors on certain bridges and I'd towns and to stuff? I'd answer that as the, the resident POM, but it's been so long since I lived oh. there. I'm very happy to say I don't know. Oh, okay. I, th- I, think well, they, I think they do on certain, I'm sure it's just on certain roads or whatever, or certain bridges or something, but... 
Easy way to get around it. Just yeah, yeah. Put, you know, eighteen hundred millimeter, eighteen hundred millimeters on on all the roads, yeah. and suddenly the only place you're allowed to drive your Silverado is to the end of your driveway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, it. that's right. Just back and forth. Yeah, like a lost and powers. I was on the road when you kindly lent me your um, Abarth one two four spider oh, yes. the other day. I shared a dual carriageway with a Silverado, and you drive alongside that in a in a tiny two seater convertible. You could fit in the back of it. That's exactly what yeah. I thought. You could. You literally do, like, what is it, Knight Rider style, just ramps yeah. up the back and off we go. Yeah. Bloody ridiculous. Yep. Yep. Um, well, once again, this this is another thing that we just have to play out. We can't really predict where it's going to go. Uh, but it's interesting, like, they're all being made in, in con- response to consumer demand. But uh, I read the quote from the famous quote from Henry Ford this, this week. You mm. know, if I'd have asked what the consumers want, they would have said a faster horse. Rather than right, revolutionary, yeah. yeah. I think at some point industry has to lead and say, "There's a cleverer way about this. We can give you what you want." Mm. And I suppose that then comes down to marketing. Mm. They have to create a new solution to satisfy those needs, but in a cleverer way. Let's hope it's the wagon. Yeah, well, that, yes. Bring back the Renault Espace, the Aventine. The problem is, though, is it, I've said, used this analogy before. Is it is is an arms race on the road. Yeah. Is that if you have a bigger car, it's the Russians having an H bomb, you know? Mm. And to, to feel safe in America, you need an H bomb as well. To feel safe driving around with Hiluxes and, and you know, these one ton massive, you know, what are they called? Six ton newts. Yes. You need one as well. Because what you're saying by driving a small car is you don't like your children and you're quite happy for them to be killed in a crash <laughs> with another bigger car. So to look responsible and like a good parent, you have to drive a massive car as well. Mm-hmm. How do you stop that? Adding to that is the style, I think that, and that's also the the way you combat it. Is is people want the style, want to keep up with the Joneses. It's fashionable to be in a dual cab in Australia at the moment. People are buying them for families because it looks tough. People bought SUVs because it looks big and expensive and luxurious. I think you've got to make the smaller alternative the the more eco friendly alternative, stylish. You need we to just, make people. We want need a it. seven seat Alpine. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just, buy it. What's that? A trailer and a roof rack. A three row, a three row MX five. <laughs> Solved it. I mean, briefly, one thing that is potentially alleviating the situation is electrification. Um, by putting motors in each wheel, not transmissions and engines under bonnet, you increase the interior space of yes. these vehicles without making them big. So you can say to someone, "Here is a car that has the same interior space as your X7, but it's the size of a Honda Odyssey." Yes. People will surely mm. they'd have to buy that, wouldn't they? Unless they are just idiots and they just want a massive car. Have you met anyone? We <laughs> have. We're all doomed. Welcome to Australia. Nine Eleven GT Two RS. Good car. Well, arguably, for many reasons, one of the best cars in the world. Yes. So who, in their right mind, would think you could make it better? I'm glad you asked, Daniel Gardner, because I have exactly the answer to that question. That's weird. It's like we planned to talk about. I this, know. Isn't it? It's brilliant. Uh, Welcome to a mob called Mantai Racing. M A N T H E Y. I always thought it was Manthi, but apparently it's Mantai. I'm so pleased you said because that's exactly what I was going to pronounce. Yeah, um, they are very, 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 very good at tuning 911s and racing 911s. They've won the Nurburgring 24 Hour like a bazillion times. Yeah, um, yeah, they're based there. <laughs> and so it all started with the GT2 RS set the Nurburgring lap record. Yeah, and then the Aventador came out went a few seconds faster. I think Porsche got a bit sniffy that they didn't think the car was quite in full road spec. So they said, well, if we optimise our car for the Nürburgring, look what happens. Lo and behold, it gets the Nürburgring lap record straight back with the GT2 RS MR, standing for Manti Racing. So basically they fiddle with the alignment, 
They uh, give it a massive wing and nothing too crazy because they're all sort of... Power? Uh, was extra it? power? No, they made no, a point not of not modifying power yes, or the right. driver. Right. Okay. They said... They didn't modify the driver. No, right. no okay. Lars Kern, same bloke. Oh, oh yes, yep, yep, yep. Um, so... How do you modify a driver? Can you give him like a few prosthetic limbs to save weight or... Or maybe you can... You give him some performance-enhancing hormones. Yeah. Get a polarizer. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So basically, give it more downforce and optimise the suspension to work a bit harder. I think sticking stick new dampers in it. I should have uh, researched this, but I didn't. Uh, this was meant to be Andy Enright's thing, but he had to leave, so there you go. I'm going to blame him. disc wheels, which are very cool. That's very cool. Anyway, the big news is Manti Racing Bits are now available in Australia. Yay. Uh, through Porsche Centre Melbourne, they released a press release saying... If you want to take your GT2 Ash to the track a lot, as you should, because it's awesome, and you want to make it even better, they will sell you this pack. It's uh, it's not cheap, if I'm honest. Oh, so God. come on. We're coming up to Christmas. This is a last-minute gift idea, everyone. That's right. If, you've, if you have a budget of... If you have a budget of $128,000... <laughs> <laughs> on top of your um, $645,000 for... Most of the way uh, to a C63. For, yes. Exactly. When you look at it like that... For the normal GT2 RS, then yeah, go and see Porsche into Melbourne. Right. Or just buy another Porsche. This, That's true. This so this Porsche 911 GT2 RS MR. Yes. Utterly pointless. Well, that's the thing. It's I think it's seven seconds quicker around the Nurburgring, which is a twenty point eight kilometer yeah. lap time. So you're so not you're talking about talking, three of a percent improvement. You're not talking chalk and cheese. No. And this is my point. The reason I'm saying this is pointless. Uh, is slightly devil's advocate because obviously I love making cars faster. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason it's pointless is because no one can tell. If yes. you could jump in it and mm. go, blimey, that thing was so much quicker than the last time I came to a track day at Winton, you'd, be, you'd say it's worth it. No one will be able to tell. The only reason people are spending the price of a C63 is so they can tell their mates. That's, That's right. it. To be the devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. Does that work? I think you're just being but normal. Just, just, but, just, aero, but turbine aero wheels. Turbine aero wheels. Yeah. Also, <laughs> uh, as, as Manti Racing pointed out, you would be out, likely you're doing the same times in a GT2 RS as you are in a GT2 RS MR, but you're getting that time easier, you're more comfortable, you're safer. You are more focused because the car is more capable. That's their justification. So for I have it. I found what you get for your one hundred twenty eight thousand dollars. Right. So you get front and rear carbon fiber aero. So basically, you know, better wings, modified damper system from the nine eleven GT three R, a larger water injection injection supply tank, so you don't have to fill it up as much, uh, new magnesium wheels, rear chassis reinforcements, and upgraded brake pads and lines, as well as the special. Hoodoo Manti Racing uh, wheel alignment spec. If if you want to understand who buys this car, because you're saying it's pointless, so you're like, we know who buys people with too much money. Yeah, but too much money and a good ethos on life. One of the blokes that bought a GT2 RS MR yeah. kept it at the Nurburgring at Manti Racing's workshop and promptly did two thousand laps in it at the <laughs> Nurburgring. So he did forty thousand kilometers in a year in his GT2 RS MR at the Nurburgring. That's life. Oh, I like him. And then one of their GT3 RS customers did 100,000 kilometres on the road in 16 months. So these people are driving them and driving them hard. Yeah. yeah. I'd argue that the person that drove 100,000 kilometres on the road is a, is a bit also a bit stupid. He's a lunatic. Yeah. That's but the lot. lunatic that's, I want to be friends with. That's, well, that's 2,000 Ks a week, isn't it? I can just imagine the kind of person. 16 months. 
They'd be a bit okay. weird. You know what I mean? I kind of want to imagine, though, I, I want to think there's sort of a, a Walter role, but you kind of know it's an IT technician who doesn't really have much to talk about. You know what I mean? I don't know. I figure if oh. you've driven a GD2 RS around the Nürburgring 2000... No, that person is fine. Yeah, okay. It's the person who spends all the time on the road in it. You know, like, there's there's no reason to to, to squander kilometres in a very rare car. If you could, you would, though. And he clearly could, can, so... Mm. I can't argue with that. Yeah, of course I would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. You look at the price and you go, oh, it's shit. And then you look at the Mentai car, hunkered down on its new dampers... It looks with tough. ...with the sexy wheels, and you go... Oh, yeah. Aerodisc. Take my money. All right. Well, for the first time ever, I'm going to prepare to admit that I'm absolutely right still. It's a stupid car. Yeah, I'd have an Aventador instead, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah. Can we we have a coup? A witch car, weekly coup? Nothing says I don't drive for any other reason other than to show off like a Lamborghini Aventador. Yeah. And on that note, irrefutable, (laughs) I am wrong. Okay, I am wrong. Winners. Twice in one lifetime. It's not a bad number. (laughs) Um, Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for another WCW. There will be plenty more. Listen in next week because it's a Christmas special. Uh, in the meantime, do take care out on the roads. My name's Daniel Garner, that's Scott Newman, that's Karen Kerry. Goodbye. Boy. <laughs>